It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 378 for February 2nd, 2014. This week, Snagit's latest free update raises the bar once again for screen capture programs. The cost of creating out-of-the-world desktop images is less than you might think. In short circuits, Google buys high and sells low. The U.S. Justice Department says it's on the trail of the target hackers. Facebook's profits astound just about everybody. And a malware author faces prison time, but you shouldn't feel any safer. Snagit has been around for a long time, and occasionally TechSmith releases a new version that somehow manages to improve on the previous version. Sometimes the improvements target the user interface, other times it's new features. It's a tool that I can't imagine being without, and capturing on-screen images is just the beginning. Even updates that, based on the numbering scheme, appear to be minor pack a wallop Take the recent upgrade from 11.2 to 11.4. One expects big changes when the major number changes from 11 to 12, for example, but nothing more than a small feature or two and maybe some bug fixes when the minor number increases. One expects that from most software publishers, but I've learned this is rarely the case with TechSmith. Snagit can capture anything that's on your screen. And sometimes it can even capture things that aren't on your screen. It can scroll vertically and horizontally during the capture. Once you've grabbed the image you need, use Snagit to modify and annotate it. The proprietary Snagit file format retains all of your additions as separate components, so they can be modified later, moved around, or eliminated. Once you have the exact illustration you need, just export it to a standard format such as JPEG, PNG, TIFF, or something that would work for the application that you're going to use it in, and then you can use it on the web or in printed documentation. Although TechSmith has a video production tool, some video capabilities are even included in Snagit, so those with basic video needs don't have to buy Camtasia. That's their video product. I've reviewed previous versions of Snagit 11, and it was clearly a 5-cat program at version 11.0 and 11.2. Now, TechSmith has added significant new features, and the upgrade cost for anybody who owns an earlier version of Snagit 11 is free. If you're still using Snagit version 10 or earlier, you'll have to pay an upgrade fee, but it's pretty reasonable. So what's new in this version 11.4? Well, startup performance has been improved a bit so that Snagit launches faster. That's generally not a big deal because most people just launch Snagit when the computer starts and you don't pay attention to that startup time. There's a spiffy new reminder that appears at the top of the screen. The Snagit bug has been there for a while, but now there's an arrow that calls your attention to it. The arrow is new. You know, I found that little Snagit bug to be a lot more helpful than I thought it would be when I first saw it. For people who illustrate a lot of processes with images that include numbered steps, there's a new step tool that automatically increments the counter for you while retaining the size and style of the marker. In the past, creating these numbered steps required a lot of work. You had to touch each numbered point at least twice. 
The blur tool has been changed. I'm not entirely certain that I like the new approach. Previously, users had to select the area that would be blurred and then apply the blur effect. Once placed, the blur couldn't be modified. The new blur tool allows the blurred area to be moved or even deleted, and it also works in conjunction with vector objects. That's new. But when multiple blurred areas overlap, there's a distracting border. I found myself wishing that both options were available because the new approach is better most of the time, but occasionally it just doesn't work the way it needs to. If the selection tool could be made to select just the blur instead of the background, and then you could delete part of the blur, we would have the best of both worlds. Close circuit to TechSmith. How about 11.6 or maybe 12.0? Longtime users may wonder where the text tool went. Don't panic, you'll find it's just been combined with the callout tool. Some of the tabs on the interface are gone, and some of the buttons are either missing or moved. Now, this will probably distress some users as much as did the removal of the Start button on Windows 8. But overall, the interface is better once you take a few minutes to familiarize yourself with it, and no existing features have been removed. There's a new Library tab in the Snagit Editor view. Instead of taking you to your default Snagit folder, the library can display all images that, in effect, takes you to your default Snagit folder, or it can display captured images by date, by website, by keywords or flags, or even by the application that was running when you captured the image. You do have to create the keywords or flags yourself, but once you attach them to the image, they're there permanently. Snagit can be set up to automatically name saved files. This is a handy feature, and it can help users keep track of the order in which images were captured. But when you're in the library and you want to rename just some of the images, copy and paste don't work. They never have in Snagit. This is an annoying shortcoming in an application that does everything else so well. What I'm describing here is the ability to sequentially rename files like Project 1, Project 2, Project 3, and so forth. The way you do that would be press the F2 key to bring up the rename function, press Ctrl-V to paste in project, and then type the number, 123 or whatever. Now, it's true that Snagit allows users to set up file naming conventions that will do all of that automatically, including the numbering. The problem with that is that it requires modifying the file naming properties every time you change projects. But let's face it, if that's all I can find to complain about, and that is all I can find to complain about, then Snagit must be pretty well constructed. The bottom line for Snagit 11.4, 5 cats, Snagit is the indispensable tool for anybody who creates documentation. Now, it may be the application that professionals use, but its reasonable price makes it a good choice for anybody who even occasionally needs to show somebody else what's on their screen. The free upgrade refreshes the user interface, which was already pretty darn good, and it adds several useful new features. You'll find additional details about Snagit version 11.4 on the TechSmith website, and there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
A business manager I worked with at one time was a big fan of the U.S. space program. He once wanted to decorate the organization's various conference rooms with space-related photographs. The government website shows a lot of images from the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, so he wondered how much it had cost to license the images for use on the conference room walls. The answer might surprise you, but it shouldn't. By the way, you'll see some of these images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The company needed to pay to have the images enlarged, of course, and mounted on display board, and we had to pay somebody to attach them to the walls, but the cost to license the images themselves? Zero. NASA makes its entire library of photographs available to the public at no charge and with few copyright restrictions. You can't use them for certain commercial purposes, of course, but because the government is us... We are allowed to use our own images for just about anything we want to. The images date back to the earliest days of the space program and include photos from the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo programs, moon landings, the shuttle and the International Space Station, Mars missions, the Hubble Space Telescope, and more, right up to current-day images. The images are provided with resolution sufficient to make wall-sized images and by that I mean 20 by 24 inches and larger. You do have to download the images, you have to send them to your preferred printmaker, you have to pay for the prints, but no cost for the images themselves. Or maybe more accurately, your tax dollars over the years have paid for your access without additional charge. And besides making prints that you can display on the wall, you can also use the images as desktop backgrounds on your computer. Maybe you're wondering what's not allowed. Let's start with what is allowed. You may use NASA imagery, video, audio, and data files, and these are all on the NASA website, for educational or informational purposes, including photo collections, textbooks, public exhibits, computer graphical simulations, and internet web pages. Figuring out what's not allowed is mainly a matter of common sense. You may not use any current or previous NASA logo unless you're an employee of NASA who's working on a NASA-sponsored project. However, NASA logos that appear in the images you use are permitted as long as they're simply left in their original context. NASA images may even be used for commercial purposes and advertisements, but NASA cautions that users may not explicitly or implicitly convey NASA's endorsement of commercial goods or services, and any NASA image that includes an identifiable person cannot be used for commercial purposes without first obtaining permission from that person. So if you plan to use NASA images for advertisements, you'll want to read the agency's advertising guidelines. There's a link to that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And the small print, which is actually full-size type and really easy to read, explains specific usage restrictions. And here they are. Any stated or implied endorsement by NASA is prohibited, as well as using an image to mislead viewers. You may not claim any right to the image. NASA will not pay any expenses you incur while using the materials. You have only shared rights to use the images. In other words, you can't attempt to deny the use of your preferred images to anybody else, including your competitors. Any NASA image that carries a copyright notice may not be used without permission, and audiovisual materials may incorporate music or images that have their own copyright restrictions, and these may not be used without permission. 
Be sure to check out the TechBiter Worldwide website and see some of the images that you have access to. And then start looking for pictures you might want to use yourself. They're on the NASA website, and there's a link to the NASA website from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, less than two years ago, with a great deal of fanfare, Google purchased Motorola's mobile phone division for $12,500,000,000. Now the company is selling the division to Lenovo for $2,910,000,000. Yes, that's a 76% loss. At the time, it was Google's largest ever acquisition. One might say the deal didn't exactly work out as planned. One might also think that losing nearly $10 billion in less than two years would be a disaster. Apparently it's not. Google will retain most of the 17,000 patents it acquired from Motorola. Those could be important in the coming years as the competition with Apple heats up. Google, after all, continues to be primarily an advertising operation and a software publisher. Hardware is a small part of the company's business. The more phones and tablets that are in people's hands, the more profitable Google will be because it derives income from the advertisements that people see on their mobile devices. Who manufactures the phones and sells them is largely immaterial to Google. For Lenovo, the world's largest computer manufacturer, the deal provides an entry point into handheld devices. Although Motorola has stumbled in recent years, it was the company that invented the cell phone. The business strategy lately has involved the introduction of many new models. Lenovo has indicated that it will concentrate on far fewer models. More choices is not always better. In fact, sometimes it's just confusing. Attorney General Eric Holder says the FBI will find the criminals who were able to break into Target's point-of-sale terminals between Thanksgiving and Christmas last year. The crooks stole credit card numbers and other information belonging to tens of millions of people. Holder made his promise at a hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and now he has a new clue. The clue came from Target. The thieves broke in by using credentials that had been issued to one of Target's business partners. The trail has led investigators to believe that thieves located in Eastern Europe were responsible for planting malware on the company's checkout terminals and managed to capture information from credit cards and debit cards that customers used in the stores. Ironically, Target.com was safe. The exploit began during the Thanksgiving weekend and it continued for several weeks. Thieves obtained credit and debit card information from some 40 million customers and personal information such as email addresses and phone numbers from 30 million more. 
Target spokesperson Molly Snyder says the company has instituted some new procedures, and those procedures will limit access to their in-store systems. Moving fast and breaking things works as a business model. Facebook reported a 700% increase in profits in the fourth quarter of 2013. The company says that its profits increased from $64 million in the fourth quarter of 2012 to $523 million in the fourth quarter of 2013. And note, though, that in 2012, Facebook did take several one-time charges for employee stock grants. That pushed the profits down. Most of the gains seem to have come from ad revenue on mobile devices. Facebook says 53% of its revenue, $1.24 billion, came from ads served on phones and tablets. The company averages 757 million visitors every day. Speaking on a conference call with analysts, Mark Zuckerberg said that 2013 was the year that Facebook truly became a mobile business. The future could be cloudy, though, because younger users seem more likely to use services such as Snapchat, Twitter, Pinterest, and Tumblr. Facebook is now second only to Google in the sale of online advertising in the United States. Yahoo has fallen to third place, and the gap is expected to widen. That's because Yahoo has only a small presence so far in mobile advertising. A man who extracted money from numerous bank accounts that don't belong to him has pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit bank fraud and wire fraud. Alexander Andreevich Panin appeared in U.S. federal court in Atlanta this week. Another man, Hamzala Bendalaj, who was extradited from Thailand, entered a not guilty plea last year. His case is pending. The two are members of a group that's accused of planting spy-eye malware on people's computers, capturing their banking credentials, and then emptying their accounts. Penin is believed to be the primary author of the malware that affected nearly one and a half million computers around the world. The malware was designed to seek out banking credentials, credit card information, passwords, and PINs. The information was then sent back to Panin in Russia so that he could gain access to victims' bank accounts and send the money to his account. Prosecutors say that Panin then offered the SpyEye virus for sale so that it could be used by other thieves. For two years, starting in 2009, SpyEye was the most serious bank fraud application available to crooks. An undercover FBI agent was able to contact Panin in 2011, and he bought a copy of SpyEye. That eventually led to Panin's arrest in July 2013 at Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta. Following his guilty plea, Panin will be sentenced at the end of April. Other arrests have been made in Europe. And if all of this makes you feel really secure, it shouldn't. Malware writers can make a lot of money quickly and with surprisingly little risk. They get caught only when they become lazy or careless, as Panin did. 
he left too many clues about his identity. And then he made the mistake of traveling through the United States at a time when the FBI had already identified him. Today's malware writers are a lot more cautious, and therefore a lot harder to catch. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.